Hello and welcome to CAA Conversations. I'm Glenn Holmstrom, Professor of Art at Newman University. In this podcast, Cecil Tolas, Smell Research Lab Berlin, professional in-betweener, smell researcher and artist discusses smells, diversity, and tolerance with Elena McLean, Assistant Professor Department of Interior Architecture and Design, Florida State University, and Meredith Lynn, Assistant Curator at Florida State University, where she also serves as the Director of Galleries and teaches museum studies. Uh, so there are different words that we use when we talk about smells. We talk about smells and odors and fragrances. Uh, what do you think, what is the difference between them for you? Do they do these words have different meanings or connotations when yes. uh, for you when you talk about those? Uh, I think in general those words have uh, have uh, different meanings or different connotations or different purposes and different rhetoric connected to it. In the, in the case of my work, the only word that is appropriate uh, for what I do and what I intend to do with smell is smell. Yeah. Odor is already a connotated uh, positive and uh, kind of flaky, and the uh, stench is already, as you know, and uh, <laughs> all the others, uh, you know, few words we have out there seem to be pretty loaded. So, uh, and also, um, uh, yeah, smell somehow. Is, is is fitting very much into uh, you know into what I do and how I think about smell yeah and there's also a it the smell yeah and it's not the she yeah do you do you like that it's both a noun and a verb that we smell smells uh, yeah yeah that's less important uh, then, <laughs> you know I mean it's uh, you know I've been trying it a lot I've been in the field of smile since beginning of the 90s so I try different different words even making my own words towards what I do and to make what I do somehow come across in the in the world I am active in you know and the, the language I speak uh, smell has been the most appropriate yeah Great, mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. And for um, me, it's also the most neutral. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it can be interpreted positive, it can be interpreted depending on who, who hear, uh, hear, hear the word or who use it. Yeah. But for what I do and how I think it's the best term so far. Yeah. Great, great. Well, um, along those lines, you speak of abstract smells. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you speak of abstract smells, uh, those that exist without um, a specific context or an emotional reference point or a history. Yes. And um, this sort of made us curious about how much of smell is universal or chemical and how much is impacted on our own personal experience. So do you ever go out in the field? That's and many have- question in one. There's a lot of questions in one question. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So where do you want me to start? Anywhere you want. Abstract. Oh, the, abstract way the, brain, the, way, the way the brain works with smell is the first time in life when you smell something, the context and the content of that smell, uh, of that, uh, you know, or the, or, of that smell is essential for how you 
perceive that smell and how you remember that smell for the rest of your life. So the first moment is essential here. And that's what you carry with you in your backpack rest of your life. And if that smell is happening in a context of joy, you will remember it positive. And if it happened in a context of sadness or trauma, you will most likely remember it negative. Yeah, and your relation to it will be according to that. And there's nowhere where you can relearn your take on this, unfortunately. We don't learn how to smell. We don't have curriculum which implements the process of smelling and smell and the chemistry of smell in, in schools of any kind so far, yeah? And so we carry with us these experiences till we die. So the first time in life, you know, let's say from zero to puberty, is when you record. You record experiences, you record smell, you store them in your subconsciousness, conscious, and, and then later, whenever you come across these smiles, you already know them. So it happens. So your processing happens most likely subconsciously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have references. These smells are, I call them concrete. Yeah. They are. You know, they are smells of reality out there, be it an apple, be it, uh, you know, dog shit, be it garbage, you name it as it. In, you know, in, in, in once upon a time, these smells were, for a child, very abstract smells until, you know, you had a content, yeah? You brought content to it. So you could literally call them abstract, yeah? Right. The way I use abstract, because I'm not speaking about that type of smells anymore, I have now access to a knowledge that enable me to understand what is an abstract smell versus a concrete smell. Um, I have access to up to 6,000 chemical compounds in my lab. All these compounds are abstract smell molecules that have no meaning whatsoever, unless you put them together to make them have meanings. So the way these smells work in the brain, if you smell it, you have no references, yeah? You have to give them a reference at the best scenario. You understand what I mean? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if this um, make any made any sense or if it's too complex to understand. But yes, so abstract smells means non-referential, yeah? Something that you <laughs> never, ever smell in life. And I compare it with the first time we smell something in life, you know? That's the first time. You know, it's a pure abstract, but the content you are smelling them in become the content code for that smell. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let's have an abstract smell code. For example, gas. Gas, mm-hmm. don't smell, per se. In 1826, there was a big gas accident in Texas. Since then, gas got an abstract smell code. This code had to be learned. So mm-hmm. we all know, and it's a global code, we learn that this smell code means the gas is leaking. So it's accomplished very much so. If you take that smell code, that abstract smell code, out of its content, context, and put it on your skin, put it in your soap, that doesn't work. Yeah? So, yeah. So this is how potentially abstract smells could be used in the world. For example, in smell coding. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah? So yeah. this, abdomen, we give a content code to an abstract smell. It's what happened when, with gas. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And I 
for a lot of for a lot of things. You know, I give abstract smiles to the content code. I have a new device called Smell Memory Kit, which mm-hmm. contains 1,560 abstract smell codes. Whenever mm-hmm. you want to remember something, be it traveling, a moment, people you meet, curriculum you want to remember for learning purposes, you break an ampulla and you give that moment, that subject, that experience, an abstract smell. And whenever you want to recall that moment, you break another on the ampulla and you remember 100% what mm-hmm. it is. So in a way, it works then like an alphabet, like letters in an alphabet, right? Abstract smells. When you we say a letter A, we don't necessarily. It doesn't mean much without context. But when yes. you put smell in your personal context, then yes. when it becomes helpful in learning, in communicating, in remembering, and so on. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but what I mean here when I say that is, I have a. My research lab contain chemical compounds. These are isolated molecules that alone have no meaning. They are abstract. The only way I can build up a structure, build up a concrete smell, replication of a real smell is what I do. Yeah, I have devices that enable me to collect smell molecules emitting from smell sources in reality. With this device, I break down molecules out there and these molecules exist in my database. So I literally can reproduce these smells pretty much up to close up to the real as, you know, uh, as possible. And these, this can only be po- possible with, with abstract smell molecules. So an A plus a B plus a C, you know, make a sentence. Yeah, maybe, or at least a word. Yeah. So this is just a, a comparison. This is a metaphor how how this work when you build up a smellscape, yeah? When you build up structures, literally <laughs> build up a, a structure, you fill it in, yeah? Like a building, yeah? Like an architecture, yeah? Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean where the A doesn't mean anything without the B. So, you know, uh, you know, you have to build up structures that make sense, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes. So is there a finite number of smells then? Sorry? Is there a finite number of smells? Like in the periodic table, we have fine number, finite number of elements. Yes. Uh, would there be a periodic table of smells then? Can we think about something like this? Uh, you know, you man, I mean, there, are trillion, there are trillions of molecules out there. So I don't think, I think that's a... Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, please, you can, you can start, but you, you will, uh, you know... Uh, have not no time to do anything else. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get working on it right away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, it's, I wish it was that easy, but uh, yeah, it's a little bit more complex than that. Yeah. But again, okay, my background is chemistry. So, I mean, I have, let's say 6,000 components combined, combining those, you know, I already have 12,000. Yeah. So my skill in doing combination to and do to to enlarge the amount of possibilities is here essential. Yeah. So I wonder, what do you think makes it so um, easy for us to connect specific information with smells, so that you can use this as a as a triggering device for learning? And because for- smell is, you know, first of all, the um, you know the the 
the nose is the maybe the or smelling is the, the oldest function on the body, first mm -hmm. of all. And uh, the most efficient uh, way of processing, uh, uh, the way of, of processing in the brain, you know, all of the senses, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, smelling something is happen in two synapses as a meaning very quick, triggering emotion and memory, very, very quick. Mm -hmm. Vision, go to the rendering part of the brain and calculate and maybe end up in subconsciousness, yeah, and trigger the memory. So smell is very 100% sure to trigger your memory, yeah, and a long-lasting memory. Right. And it's also proven, you know, that, uh, you know, it's not just me talking. I've done this for 24 years, and I've done a lot of experiments around this memory and smell. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, in the past, before any kind of rendering system, system existed, any kind of computing or dissimilar, scientists, when they had hardcore curriculum to learn, they learned it in the context of a smell, and to recall what they learned, they went back to the same smell. And that's mm -hmm. how they remembered, you know? So it's a methodology that's been used by scholars over years in, in monasteries, by, by monks, etc. you know, in, in a very efficient way, you know? And, you know, I'm just taking that kind of experience, bringing up to modern time and doing a little bit more sophisticated with abstract molecule linking, abstract molecule to content code, call it curriculum, call it maths, call it, you name it, I say it. And, and uh, yeah, and you can only use those molecules in that right moment. Otherwise it doesn't work, yeah? Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that an experiment was done at Wall Street some years back where they tried to put two different smells, one meaning stock market went down, the other, stock market went up. Mm -hmm. One was apple and one was a lemon. Of course it didn't work. All the bankers were looking for the apples and looking for the lemon because everybody had a very individual understanding of what those smells are. So of course this won't work. That's why abstract is essential. Yeah? You have, to learn, you have to learn that that smell means something. Yeah? Right. It's like learning another language. Yeah? Right. It has to be new to you. Yes, totally. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, and you have to learn it. It's like you learn uh, Russian or you learn uh, Chinese or you learn, yeah, anything. Yeah. Uh -huh. So then, uh, which brings us kind of memories and uh, associations, brings us to the question of prejudices and smell. And uh, you said that tolerance doesn't start with how we look or what we believe in. It starts with how things smell and what we associate with those smells mm -hmm. and uh, in that respect then um how do you do you disagree no, no. not at all uh, no. i agree that it's first and foremost thing that we react before we before we see things and have time to process it seems like smell processing happens automatically we can't even separate we can't separate uh um process of kind of visual associations, but we can't uh, uh, stop and uh, break that process of associations when we smell things. Mm -hmm. um, but um, how do we then, uh, how how do you train people to abandon their um, uh, prejudices towards smells, like homeless people project that you worked on? I worked on a lot of projects going that direction, and most of what I do has to do with tolerance. I try to snapshot reality that surrounds us all the time, full time. We breathe up to 24,000 times a day. 
move 12,7 cubic meter air with our breathing. Every breath we do, we inhale information about our neighbors, about our city, about our planet. This information is essential to understanding, navigate, and communicate in, on this planet. And a lot of this information is completely ignored in a world that primarily rely on how things look like. I decided to snapshot all those reality, use chemistry, to collaborate with the knowledge existing out there, which is only five huge corporations that have all the knowledge dealing with smell and taste in a scale which was appropriate for my purpose and intention. So I have the ability to literally freeze one of those moments and you can put whatever topic uh, to the smell you want or the, the, the area uh, of concern, be it homeless, be it pollution, be it segregation or whatever. Um, and I freeze that moment, replicate it, reproduce it for the purpose to understand it and train humanity to tolerate it beyond what they would normally do. So the way I do it is literally decontextualization, you know, decontextualize the smell, take it out of its comfort zone, take it out of its context, bring it into a very comfortable, safe surrounding, call it my lab, call it a gallery, call it a museum, call it a school cl classroom, and the only device or interface you can use to understand the narrative of the smell is your nose. And it's amazing what happens when you literally just place the smell there without the context and the content where the smell comes from. Humanity or humans are completely open and curious. And you have, in some scenario, prejudices like coming up you know, education and cultural influence, influence us to understand and, you know, have prejudices towards smells uh, without even having experienced it ourselves. So I never accept that kind of situation. I train people to move beyond the the, 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 the notion of bad and good and in the science of smell, we call it hedonics, or even metaphors and metonyms. So only when we come to a point where the discourse go direction, oh, this is interesting. Let's try to understand what the smell is. And then maybe in the end of, let's say, two or three work workshops, uh, or four or five or 10, depending, you know, the smell will be revealed what it is, but also not important. What's essential here? That after a workshop like this, I bring the people out to reality where I found the smells. And their take on that situation have completely changed. So, yeah, so this is the methodology I use. And my, most of my work is about like this. It's about like this, you know, decontextualization, snapshot of reality, call it ocean, call it pollution, call it prejudice, call it race, call it, you name it, I say it take it out of its comfort zone, place it there to be explored, only using your interface notes for the purpose, getting curious, get, getting passionate, approach it playfully, which what smell accomplished, and play and joy is essential to understanding serious issues out in the world. And we suffer tremendously with the biggest illness of our time called disembodiment. And I think we need new BSs to be able to deal with all those issues out there. You know, there are so many of them. 
we have no clue anymore how to cope with it. Yeah. So the point is, we need to educate our kids to get back to where it all started. We are born neutral. We have a setup of interfaces that are there for free. Our senses are there to understand, navigate, communicate in the world. And there's nothing that was meant to be bad and good. Only educational culture influences. So if we can restart to educate our kids to use the setup of interfaces properly, the world will look different and we will solve the problem to surround us in a different way and much more active participating in the changes. So do you do you find that smell is is a fast or maybe complex, nuanced, or maybe even facile or easy way to build intimacy between two people? That um that a connection is formed between the person who produced the smell and the person who smells the smell, even without the context of seeing each other. Yes, yeah, the nose knows everything long before it sees. You know, that's how it processes. As I said before, the quickest processing in the brain, smell happened long before you see the things. You know, in, you know in, in, uh, later in life, this happened subconsciously. Early in life, it happened consciously. I made it happen consciously, so I smell consciously every day because I wanted to. So this is like, if you want to change, if you want to work against evolution, if you want to kind of take up, you know, and, and repair something, you have to suffer a bit. But you come on the other side, you'll be astonished what you discover. So this again, you know, we need some sensory rehabilitation, sensory, you know, you know, retraining, you know, like we train our bodies, you know, muscles, we need to train our senses appropriately. Otherwise they start to decrease the function. And technology is taking over where the sense is lost. And any kind of soft robotic is still not able to have emotions. And emotions are essential to understanding life. Learning in the context of emotion is essential to mankind. That's why learning in the early time of life, like from zero to puberty, is so essential. What we learn then stay with us for the rest of our lives. You know, and that's learning using the senses properly. Later, you know, primarily vision takeover has taken over and will suffer like crazy. And we have a lot of issues, call it intolerance, call it, you name it, I say it, you know, issues that are so broad and so big, we don't know how to deal with them anymore because we, our eyes don't find a solution. Yeah. Um, I have, I have one more quick question for you and I'm just wondering, so I know that smells can fade, but do they ever vanish entirely or is there always a remnant of the smell that exists. I don't know what kind of smells you speak about. I mean, those the smell out in out in the world, or the one the ones I make. Both, I guess. Yeah, both. I mean, it's depending. I mean, every everybody have a smell ID as unique as a fingerprint. Every city, every neighborhood have unique smells, and these smells come from smell sources that are permanent there. Be it nature, be it bakery, be it brewery, be it garbage depot, you name it. I say these are. Smells is part of infrastructures and part of, of systems, you know, and those smells are important for mankind. Otherwise, you would know what's going on. If we clean up everything, deodorize, sanitize, and, and perfumize everything, how can we navigate, you know? We're looking at 
shiny surfaces, transposition of clean to everywhere, you know. Come on, patina essential here, you know, and cleaning up too much is anyway unhealthy, you know. So I think it's the whole rhetoric, the whole language has to change, you know. The cliché terms we are using, privately provided by advertising, you know, is just bullshit, yeah. Mm-hmm. So all this has to be kind of removed and we have to start go back to facts. What are the facts here? Humans, cockroaches, and rats are the biggest journalists on planet Earth. End of the story. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Cecil, before we end, uh, maybe you could share with our listeners where we can see or smell, rather, uh, your work in the nearest future. What are oh. you working on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm doing a big project in Detroit at the Broad Museum oh. in Michigan. So I'm going to Detroit middle of September working with the Science Gallery in Detroit. And I have a lecture and a workshop in Detroit the 27th, 26th, 27th of October. And opening in the Broad Museum in Michigan State University is the 26th of October. Great. Then I'm in uh, Los Angeles doing um, a big uh, project for the Summit LA in the beginning of November. I'm in uh, Canada uh, afterwards. And then I go to Asia for some big projects in Singapore on my education curriculum uh, in the government where we try to implement the census, all aspects of education in the Southeast Asia. And then I continue to Tokyo. And uh, yeah, so I'm all over the world. There's a whole world to smell and a whole world to educate to smell. I can't just limit myself to small Berlin. Yeah, I will keep you posted. Yeah? Excellent. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Cecil. Okay, I hope it made sense. Yeah? Absolutely. Yes, thank, thank you. you. We thank appreciate you so much. Good luck with your projects. Bye-bye.